Let's uh, start with paying homage to the Buddha. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa I think of uh, paying homage to the Buddha and reciting that together at the beginning of a talk not just as a way of honoring the the historical figure Buddha, but also the uh, honoring the Buddha within, the goodness within us, that we are here. We are committing to waking up to our inner goodness, to cultivating that more. So recognizing that and and bowing to that, because it's in all of us. It's in all of us. That's why we're here. That's why we're listening practicing the Dhamma, the way things are. So for today, I wanted to, um, I'll tell you what the plan is and we'll see how we go according to plan or we go far off away from the plan, friends. We're friends now. We've we've been hanging out with each other for a couple of weeks. So, so... So let me tell let me tell you what the plan is. So as you know, we've been at the beginning of the retreat. Uh, Sayadaw Jagra presented the the um, the theme of uh, the Sutta. What purpose? Which we've been over time talking about little by little, different links of it, and has to do with conditionality, conditionality, and it starts from um, wholesome behavior um, and it ends in liberation. So looking at those links, looking at those conditions. And at the same time, we've been discussing conditionality in general and and exploring different aspects of conditions, causes and conditions in our experience. So my plan for today is to talk about the next couple of links, which is samadhi, and yata bhuta jnana dasana, seeing things as they are. And if there is time, we'll see, if there is time, I might also talk about uh, a few more of the conditions in the patana that we've mentioned. Just bring in maybe a couple more of the 24, but but maybe it's already enough to talk about samadhi and yata bhuta jnana dasana. Those are already pretty big topics. Already putting them in one talk, it's a lot. So if not, maybe the conditions I'll introduce little by little the next couple of days in the mornings, just in the instructions. We'll see. So there's plenty of things to practice with, plenty of ways to practice with, and also it's good not to make it too full and just open up to whatever arises. So whatever I'm, I offer today, again, allow it to, to, um, to s- for, for whatever of it is helpful, let it settle, let it be taken with you out of the hall. And whatever is not helpful and makes you anxious and the feeling of have to practice, have to um, overwhelm, just let it be, just leave it in the hall. So, so with that, so with that, samadhi, let me talk a bit about samadhi. So what, what we're, what I talked about last time were really the, the, um, the few links before, which were, um, sukha, bliss, I came before, there was tranquility, pasadi, there was pity, joy, there was gladness. So these really beautiful, wholesome qualities of heart and mind that are needed for samadhi. And I said it then, I'll say it again. Hello, 
The Buddha could have put hard work as a precondition for samadhi. He didn't. There are these beautiful, wholesome, lovely. I'm pausing so you wake up. There are these wonderful qualities of the heart and mind. Joy, delight, rapture, tranquility, bliss, contentment. That's what makes the mind settle and be happy like a little baby that's nicely fed and rocked and contented and happy. Ah, settles, the mind settles, the mind unifies. So please remember that, please remember that. So now, speaking about the next stage, samadhi. Samadhi, generally translated as concentration, a word I'm not very fond of, I'll tell you in a minute. But the word samadhi is derived from the Pali prefix sam, which means together, and the root da, which means to put or place. And it's related to the Pali verb samadhati, meaning to pull together, to bring together, or to concentrate. So basically, samadhi entails the unifying of the mind, unifying of the mind in steady, undistracted awareness. So the idea to bring together, to pull together. So it's bringing, pulling, unifying. And I like that vision, that image a lot more more than concentration because the word concentration is a little overloaded in the West and it brings up this sense of, of tightening the brow and concentrating and and a lot of effort and you know concentrating on your math exam and it's constant it just brings it up a lot of efforting over efforting whereas pulling together bringing together unifying collecting it's a different feeling it's a different uh, it's collecting it's over and over collecting co- collecting so a few other words, unification, composure, gathering, collectedness, non-distractedness, stabilizing, calming, steady, malleable, stillness, the mind being protected. So these are some other synonyms you can think of for the word sabadi. And throughout this talk, I try to mainly use the word samadhi, but I will be using concentration too because it's in my notes. And, um, and I'll try to avoid it as much as possible. I think the word itself, samadhi, is a really rich one. Is a really rich one. So, there are 40 different objects that one can meditate upon that can arise different levels of samadhi. It can be objects of samatha practice. It's not just one. We usually think of, yep, anapanasati. Mindfulness of the breath is it. It's not. There are 40 different objects. And When I say that, often people wonder, okay, 40, hmm, could you mention some? I'll mention some, just to give you a sense. So there are the 10 casinas, which also, casina could be translated as whole, which are objects for the mind to settle in. So it could be earth, water, fire, air, or wind the color blue, the color yellow, red, white, space, bright light. These are some other objects. There are a few more. There is There are 10 objects of repulsion or asuba meditation. Okay, be ready. Swollen corpse, discolored bluish corpse, festering corpse, fissured corpse, gnawed corpse, dismembered or hacked or scattered corpse, bleeding corpse, warm eaten corpse, skeleton. 
There are ten recollections, anusati, the recollections of the three jewels, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. There are three recollections of, the, of virtue, morality, sila, liberality, chaga, the wholesomeness attributes of the devas. There's a recollection of the body, kaya. There's a recollection of death, one of my favorite ones. Then there is Anapanasati and recollection of Nibbana. There are the four Brahma Viharas, beautiful, beautiful practice objects. There is Metta, love, goodwill, Karuna, compassion, Mudita, vicarious joy, Upeka, equanimity. And then there are the formless states, formless jhanas, Arupa jhanas. There is infinite space as an object, infinite consciousness, infinite, infinite nothingness, infinite perception, n- nor, nor non-perception. There is also the perception of disgust of food. And there's also the four elements, actually practicing of the four elements as perceived, um, sensed in the body, earth, water, fire, and air. I think that's the 40. So some of these, some of these recollection objects, some of these, um, due to their complexity, for example, the eight recollections, excluding recollection of the body and breathing, um, they are samatha objects leading to upachara samadhi, access concentration. And absorption in the first jhana can be, can be realized by mindfulness of the ten foulness um, and mindfulness of the body, but they cannot go beyond, the mind cannot go beyond the first jhana on these recollections um, because they applied vitaka and uh, vitaka all the time, the, the applied thought. So they require a sense of there's, there's some complexity, you need to keep reconnecting with the object, reconnecting with the object, which, which need not be, um, which is not the case for, for the other um, objects and jhanas. And the Brahma Viharas, the first three Brahma Viharas, um, allow access absorption in the first three jhanas. And the equanimity uh, allows access to the fourth jhana. And the four jhanas can be accessed through mindfulness of breathing and the ten kasinas. So just sharing with you that there's a lot of objects for practicing samatha, for a practice for a re, for a state of samadhi, it's not just one thing, and and different vehicles can serve in different ways. And also another thing I wanted to share with you, you know, Buddha taught different meditation objects to different people. So for the greedy types, the recommendation is the ten foulness meditations or the body contemplation. For people with a lot of dosa, a lot of hate, um, aversion, the four Brahma Viharas and the four color casinas were recommended. For the deluded type, mindfulness of the breath was recommended. For people who are faithful, have a lot of faith, sada. The first six recollections were highly recommended. For the intelligent types, recollection of marana, death contemplation, or nibbana contemplation. Also the perception of disgust of food. You thought you had it easy, intelligent types. Now we're going to give you a disgust of food and the analysis of the four elements, the four elements in the body. 
And for speculative types, mindfulness of the breath. And the six non-color casinas and the four formless states are suitable, apparently, for all temperaments. So just offering this, just to feel, really, there's a, there's a large space, there's a lot of ways to practice. Not to bring up wanting mind, but there's a lot of possibilities to kind of relax the wanting mind. That's my hope. There's a, lo- there's a lot of ways to practice. There are many, many roads to roam. And there's, there is a question about, of course, um, s- level of steadiness of the mind is needed for seeing things as they are. There is no question about that. That mind needs to be stable, mind needs to be unified in order for us to see things as they are, to see the three characteristics. However, it is debated in different schools of Buddhism and even within the school of Theravada, different ways of practicing how much samadhi is really needed or necessary um, for for liber- liberation, for enlightenment, for awakening. You know, there is the school of um, of dry vipassana, that ah, as you practice, as you practice, say, open awareness, as you practice vipassana and seeing changing objects, a level of samadhi will arise that will support, is, is enough, is enough for unfolding of insight. That's one view, and I appreciate and honor that. And there's also at the other end of the spectrum, there's the view that you need jhanas, you need the four jhanas, or at least the first one, you need jhanas in order to see things as they are. And that's another view, and I appreciate that. I've practiced that also. I, I've practiced them all. I, I love all these paths. And again, I think de- depending on who you are and the proclivity of your mind, there could be different paths and different level of, of samadhi that can be supportive to you and really the right vehicle for you. Okay, if that was not enough, if that spectrum was not enough, there is even more. There is more um, discussion or debate as to the definition of what is jhana, what defines absorption, the first absorption, second, third, fourth. How, what is the description? How are they practiced? Again, with that, there is a range. There is um, perhaps what what's called the sutta jhanas, and there are the visuddhimagga jhana descriptions. And the sutta jhanas, um, the description, the bar tends to be more relaxed. There is, there is, um, they seem to be described as being more accessible. At least that's how it's interpreted by many, not by all, by by some, by many. That, yeah, there is the level of jhana samadhi is, is. Um, you know, is more spacious, is more accessible. Now, Visuddhimagga jhanas, the bar has moved to be pretty high. What is defined to be a jhana is very strict, is very limited, can't hear anything, can't feel anything outside. Really, there's a, there's the description of absorption is different. And there's quite a range. So what is supportive of your liberation? What is the support, what level of concentration, what level of samadhi is supportive for your personal practice? It depends. It really depends on the proclivity of your mind. It really depends on who you are. There's so many different types. We're all individually unique. So to just set our mind to one object, one definition of samadhi has to be that, it has to be this way, may not be supportive, may or may not be supportive. It can 
bring tightness. It can bring a wanting mind. It's got to be this way. This is the only way to liberation. This is the only way to freedom in this life. Well, is it really so? So I'm inviting you to relax and continue to practice, of course, with dedication, but not have that tightness that it has to look just one way. There's so many different ways it can look depending on who you are, depending on your causes and conditions, what can be supportive to you and what actually may not be supportive to you. If you have been banging your head against the wall for years to to achieve a particular definition of jhana and it's ain't, it ain't happening, well, maybe that's just not very helpful anymore. Maybe it's just not. And it's, in fact, practice becoming is becoming a source of dukkha, is becoming not a vehicle for liberation and ease in this life. It's becoming a source of suffering in this life. To wake up to that, to wake up to that. So having said that, samadhi, a certain level of samadhi, and I'm not going to define it, again, it depends, a certain level of mind unifying, a certain level of mind settling, you know, could be upachara samadhi, axis concentration, axis unification, or first, second, third, fourth jhana, depending on different definitions, some level of the mind settling. Or maybe vipassana jhanas with dry insight. So let's say some level of unification is needed for the mind to see things clearly. To see things clearly. And that is the purpose of actually developing samadhi in this practice. It's not a standalone practice. We don't develop a unified mind just for the fun of it. Uh, even though it is fun, but not just f- just for the sake of it. it. It's a vehicle for liberation, for vipassana, for seeing things as they are. Think about it this way. If you're look, if you are trying to see see how things are, if you're trying to view reality for through binoculars and you don't have a steady stand and they keep moving, it's going to be very, very hard to get a clear view of how things are. You need to stabilize, stabilize the binoculars. You need to have them be steady so that you can actually really see. And that steadiness, that tripod, that tripod is samadhi. You need to build yourself a tripod could be made of wood, could be made of whatever, concrete, could be made of anything. But you need a tripod. You need a level of stability. Could be made of anything, could be any height. It doesn't matter, perhaps. But you need a tripod, a level of settledness, unification of the mind. The mind to be settled and stable in, in order to see. And all of you, having been here for a couple of weeks now, you have a lot more stability in your mind, a lot more samadhi. And actually many of you have been here longer than two weeks to acknowledge those of you who have been practicing for longer. There's a lot more stability than the day you arrived. So to acknowledge that. And that level of stability of your mind has enabled you to see things more clearly to see the habit patterns of your mind, to see the causes and conditions that are arising, to see the wholesome roots, to see the unwholesome roots, to have a certain level of space and objectivity for things as they are rising and passing away. So to acknowledge that. Samadhi is not something out there that you need to get. It's right here. It's right here.
So I want to spend just a little bit of time talking a little more, bringing together the supporting factors, some many of which we've already been talking about and referring to, but just to collect them in one place, the supporting factors for stability of the mind, for samadhi. One thing that we have mentioned over and over again is to relax, is to relax. Appreciated Bhante Ujagara talking about um, the Buddha's memory under the um, under the, the tree, the Bodhi tree, and remembering his childhood. The Buddha remembering his childhood sitting under the rose apple tree when he was really happy as a child. Ah, that's the path. That's the path. Oh, happiness, ease, relaxation, joy. So that ease, imagining, remembering, or conjuring up, getting in touch with relaxation, with that joy. I'll talk more and more about joy in a moment. Another thing we've mentioned is that sense of receptivity. is not so much reaching out. It's not so much like a fork stabbing the broccoli, but a spoon picking up soup. Kind of this gentleness of, of receptivity, receptivity of the object, whatever the object is. Whatever the object is, it could be your breath. If you're working with Anapanasati, receiving the breath, relaxing and receiving. Many of you, I have shared this instruction in our practice meeting, relax and receive. Relax and receive. Very important. Joy, very important. Enjoy. Enjoy your practice. Enjoy your meditation object. Cannot repeat that enough. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Ajahn Suchito, he, he says, I think of enjoyment as receiving joy and samadhi as the art of refined enjoyment. It is the careful collecting of oneself to the joy of the present moment. Joyfulness means there is no fear, no tension, no ought to. There isn't anything we have to do about it. So there is stillness. It's just this. Isn't that lovely? I, I love that. And um, this is what he says, by the way. This is from the pamphlet, Joy of Samadhi. I'll read the first part again, because it's wonderful to think of Ajahn Suchito, you know, a serious monk, is talking about Receiving joy, samadhi as the art of refined enjoyment. Samadhi as the art of refined enjoyment. It is the careful collecting of oneself to the joy of the present moment. I love that. That could be a bumper sticker. It is the samadhi is the careful collecting of oneself to the joy of the present moment. If samadhi is not enjoyable, if there is no joy, it's too much work. It's wrong effort. It's going to fall. And I've seen that both in my own practice early years and also in many practitioners. There's so much effort. It's like holding it together, holding the object together. Oh, okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. I'm like, oh, exhausted. It all falls apart. Oh, oh. That is not sustainable samadhi. So check into that. Check into. Let, let lack of ease, let lack of joy be your guide in your practice. If there's no ease, there's no joy. Great, there's a pointer there. Pay attention. Pay attention. The other supporting factor, the fourth one on my list, again, I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. 
It's gentle persistence, gentle persistence. It's balanced effort, non-striving. I love the word atapi, which appears repeatedly in in the um, Satipatthana Sutta, translated as gentle, persistent effort. It's gentle. As I was mentioning this morning, it's like touching with a cotton ball or with a feather. It's gentle, but it's persistent. It's persistent, keeps happening, keeps happening. It's gentle stroking. It's not heavy-handed. It's not heavy. It's not a hammer. It's gentle. And it's like tuning a bow. If the mind is wandering a lot, then if you feel too lax, then give more attention, more emphasis to persistence. Be more persistent. If you feel that you're getting too tight, bring more attention, more lean more into to the gentleness. The persistence and gentleness, those can, can help support. The fifth factor I have on my list, and these are Nikki's lists, by the way, pulled from the various lists, which actually you have plenty of, it's seclusion, seclusion and renunciation, seclusion and renunciation of body and mind. Here you have plenty of seclusion. We're not in the middle of Habab, big city seclusion of the mind and renunciation and so not just the environment but also there is a sense of seclusion and renunciation that is helpful to to practice with so if you're sitting on the porch and you're imagining planning your next vacation that's not exactly renunciation or seclusion of the mind the mind is not secluded so it's letting go of other objects, letting go in general. There's a lot of letting go and, and having seclusion, renunciation in the mind, not just physically. Another one is surrender and letting go of the outcome and the sense of trust. To stay with the task and let go of the outcome because that sense of wanting, wanting samadhi, wanting, that's a sure way for it not to happen because it it makes one so tight. Letting go of the outcome and just staying with enjoying the task. The same way that if if you're in school and there was a subject you're studying and your whole point, your whole object was just to get an A, it would be kind of miserable. That that would be the only objective. Whereas if your objective was just to enjoy the course, just to enjoy the course, whatever the grade, you would probably get an A anyway because you would enjoy it so much that you would study, you would do the extra homework, you would just be absorbed. You would literally be absorbed in doing the work, in doing the homeworks, in the study. So letting go of the outcome and enjoying, learning to enjoy. Have I said that word enough times? (laughs) Enjoy, enjoy the process. Also, it doesn't work if you think, am I doing this right every five minutes? Am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? There needs to be a sense of trust, sada, faith. As I was mentioning this morning, if doubt arises, am I doing this right? Is this the right place for me, right practice for me, right this, right that? A great practice is when that voice comes up, just bring out another voice. Yep, I am doing this right. Thank you very much, doubting voice. Here's another voice. Yes, I am doing this right. And just drop that in and see what it feels like. Yes, I am doing this right. I am doing this right. And this, uh, this instruction actually has been quite profound for many practitioners. Because it's just the voice that comes up and you tend to believe it. Why believe that? Why not believe this other one? Yeah, I am doing it right. Choose the voice you believe, if you're going to believe one. 
make it be the voice of trust and sada. Developing samadhi also requires curiosity and interest. Curiosity and interest. Be a scientist of your own mind and heart. This is pretty wild, being human. It is so interesting. It's all fast. It's so fascinating. And if boredom arises, great. Be curious about boredom. What does boredom feel like? What does it feel like in the body? What does it feel like in the mind? Is it heavy? Is it light? Is it tingling? How do how would I describe it to a Martian? And of course, attitude is key. The getting it attitude, the achievement attitude, really does not work in terms of appreciating and finding joy in the present moment. And the work ethic achievement, the work ethic of achievement, we lose the present moment appreciation. And notice, what is the mind that is meditating, as Uteshaniya tends to say? What is your intention? Is it demanding? Is it an impatient, demanding attitude? Do you feel calm and easeful? What is the energy like in your attitude? And it's interesting because the attitude if there is a wanting attitude, um, it, can, it can make the mind very brittle. And I've seen the most irritated and brittle yogis on concentration retreats when they want to get concentrated and any sound, any door opening, closing, any cough, like, oh, stop it, I'm trying to concentrate. So... The mind can get very brittle and everything can be seen as a hindrance, as, as getting in the way of developing concentration. So if that happens for you, ooh, that's a pointer. Maybe you're getting too tight. You're, maybe you're getting too tight of wanting. And practice again, practice itself is becoming a source of suffering. See these as signs. It's a, maybe your heart has gotten out of touch with empathy, out of touch with kindness, out of met, metta for yourself and for others, and has kind of lost touch with the purpose of practice, which isn't just developing wisdom, but is developing compassion, just as important. Two wings of the bird. The bird cannot fly with just a wisdom wing. It's not going to fly. No way. You need both. You definitely need both wisdom and compassion. And keep in mind the overall objective as we keep talking about it. Elimination of suffering, freedom, ease. And a lot can be learned in the process if the mind becomes displeased, frustrated, if it wants, you get to see all the patterns and you patiently work with them. So whatever the level of samadhi that the mind has, don't be disheartened. Because know that, first of all, the faculty of samadhi is being developed, but just as importantly, the paramis of patience renunciation, right effort, and compassion for yourself and others, and seeing conditionality of your mind are also being developed, just as important. So it's not just the destination of samadhi that's important. It's really the journey, the getting there, that can, that's actually the liberating part. If you tread lightly, if you travel with 
with, with ease and joy and with attention and not lose, not lose sight of all the signposts. Every step you take can be liberating in and of itself. And I like to echo my dear beloved teacher, Pa Aksayada, the times whenever I had difficulty with so much metta, he would say, don't worry, don't worry. So remember that, don't worry, don't worry. Don't worry, don't worry. With, with as much metta as you can conjure up and imagine, don't worry, don't worry. I like to talk now about the next condition in the link, the next link in this progression, which is seeing things as they are. Yata Buddha Jnana Dasana, knowledge and vision of things as they are. Yata Buddha Jnana Dasana which arises naturally from having some level of samadhi. When the mind is settled, unified, the mind gets to see. Well, just it's been naturally happening for you. So seeing things as they are. So that in this practice happens through vipassana. Vipassana. The Pali word from the Sanskrit prefix V and the verb root, verbal root pa. And it's often translated as insight or clear seeing, though the in prefix may be misleading because V in Indo Aryan languages is equivalent to the Latin dis, and the V in vipassana may mean to see into, see through, or to see in a special way. Alternatively, the V can function as an intensive, and thus vipassana can mean seeing deeply. So seeing deeply, seeing in a special way, seeing into, or the way it's often translated as insight or clear seeing. And a synonym for vipassana is pachaka, which means before the eyes, which refers to the direct experiential perception. So it's the type of seeing denoted by vipassana that is direct perception, as opposed to knowledge derived from reasoning or argument. It's direct perception, directly seeing, deeply seeing. Deeply seeing what? The way things are. Seeing the marks of existence, anicca, dukkha, anatta. Anicca, dukkha, anatta. Anatta. So anicca, impermanence. Everything arises and passes away. Everything. Everything, both in the long term and in the short term. It's the truth of how things are in this human life. Everything. We come and go. Civilizations come and go. Parts of this world can be covered underwater. Who was telling us the other day? Oh yeah, that apparently there's a reservoir here that if you, well, you're not permitted to swim in it, but if you did, underneath of it, you would see, I think, a church. Oh, it wasn't always a reservoir. It got flooded. Things change. Things change. Things come and go, arise and pass away, both in the long term 
Every hello is the beginning of a goodbye. And also, everything changes in the short term. Every arising, every second, every millisecond, every mind moment, everything arising and passing away. There is really nothing to hold on to. This moment, it's gone now. This moment too, gone, 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 gone. I mean, you can really get in touch with it in the present moment. Gone, that moment is gone, gone. By the time I get to the end of the sentence, it's all gone. Gone, gone, gone. It'll never be repeated again. You get it? Gone, gone, gone. It's, holy cow, it's impermanent. It's passing every moment, all of it, everything, everything, all of it. And this opening to profound change, profound anicca, it can be overwhelming. It can be destabilizing. And the mind really has to be ready for it, to open to it gradually. And samadhi can be the fort, can be the stabilizing factor to restabilize the mind when it gets overwhelmed. in seeing this. Dukkha. Inherently, there is nothing in the realm of our human experience that's reliably and consistently satisfying or happy-making. That every aspect of experience has a sense of unsatisfactoriness in its fabric. If it's pleasant, it's pleasant for now. It will change because, see rule number one, see anicca, it is going to change, it's not going to stay. So by definition, something that is not going to stay, it cannot be deeply satisfying. And you want more of it, and it will go away. So, dukkha, it's either dukkha dukkha, it's either really unpleasant, inherently unpleasant, some experience either physical pain or, or an experience is physically, or, or is inherently dukkha, or it's, it has dukkha unsatisfactoriness because of anicca. It's not reliable, it is going to pass. Not a good place to, to, to hang your hat and just expect complete satisfaction. Everything changes and things become unsatisfactory. Relationships, you know, at first when you fall in love with someone, ah, it's honeymoon, it's awesome, and then difficulties arise. It's not as purely satisfying. It has some level of work in it. Always. And that's just the nature of it. Not to say it's bad. That's the nature of human life. And when you accept that, ah, then there is ease. You don't, you don't look for perfection. You don't look for everlasting satisfaction in anything. You know that everything has got, uh, yep, satisfactory for some time. And then unsatisfactoriness inherently. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. When you accept that, you make peace with it. You don't berate others or berate yourself for not doing it right. It's just, this is the way it is. You imagine something being fantastic. Oh, that job is going to be so good. Or, or doing this, that travel, that becoming this, becoming that, becoming a Dharma teacher. Oh, it's going to be so great. And just realize everything, everything, everything has dukkha in it, unsatisfaction, because it's human life. That's the way it is. And then, of course, anatta, there is no core or center in any aspect of experience. Not in the inside, not in the outside. No core, no center. It's the inherent corelessness of all phenomena. 
And what we take to be an experience of solid self is simply a process, is simply an emergent property of all the elements that work together. Another way to to consider anatta is ungovernable, not just coreless, but ungovernable, ungovernability, lack of control. If I told you to stop aging now, okay, stop it, enough, control over your body, stop aging now, good luck. We don't have control. We don't... We don't have control over our bodies. And as you've probably realized, we don't have a lot of control over our minds. It comes up with a lot of crazy stuff. Crazy, you know, it's not crazy, but you know, like, wow, this thought. Wow, look at that thought. That, that's interesting. Who ordered this? Who ordered this feeling? Who ordered this emotion today? Wow. I mean, that in and of itself is an insight to anatta. It's not you. You don't have control over it. You don't have control over your body. You don't have control over your mind. There are causes and conditions that are bringing up. And of course, as we've discussed, as we're practicing, there are ways to see, keep seeing, and gently, ever so gently, ever so patiently, affect and change the causes and conditions towards freedom, towards liberation. And yet, to have humility that there's a lot of impersonality in how things arise. And the three characteristics are different aspects of one another. As I mentioned, Anicca, because things are impermanent, inherently they're not satisfactory. And what is impermanent and unsatisfactory is not, is not a permanent self. It's hollow, it's coreless. And there are many different ways, there are many different ways to have insight into anicca, dukkha, anatta. And anatta also, another term for it is sunyata, or, or emptiness, voidness, which is another expression of anatta. Emptiness of phenomenon, which is emptiness of self, as well as emptiness of phenomena. As I mentioned, emptiness inside and outside, not self inside and outside. And, and so many ways to see. I mentioned a couple with, with seeing your body, seeing your mind, and seeing conditionality is a way to see anatta. When you see cause and conditions arising, when you see, ah, there's contact with an object, the mind sees, the, the ear, the consciousness, hears a bird, ah, pleasantness arises, oh, memory arises, oh, I want that, oh, story arises, etc. Oh, wow, it just kind of, it's just conditioned. It's empty phenomena rolling on and on. It's just kind of rolling on its own. Where is the you there? Where is the you there? It's a process. It's a process. And to also not to, to completely let go of the self, in a way. So what I mean is, and as we've said before, not to privilege ultimate reality over relative reality. They're both important. And there is, in the relative reality, there is a self that has an address and develops sila and develops compassion, etc., etc. And yet, it's a process. There's no homunculus in your head. There's not a little man which is yourself, which is the center of your being. It's n- and the translation, again, as we've said, I repeat it, it's not no self. No self is a negation of self. That is not correct. It's not self. It's not you. It's not a self. It's not an abiding, permanent self. It's a process. It's a process.
so when Vachagutta, the wanderer, approached the Buddha and asked him, does the self exist? The Buddha didn't answer. He asked again, does the self not exist? The Buddha did not answer. And when the Buddha did not answer him, he went away. And when he had gone, Ananda asked the Buddha why he didn't answer. And the Buddha said, Behold, Ananda, if I had answered that the self existed, it takes side with eternalism. Ananda, if I had answered that the self didn't exist, it would have taken sides with annihilationism. Ananda, if the answer does not benefit, Vachagotta, and it makes him even more confused, I had better not answer. So what the Buddha said repeatedly is that there is no particular aspect of our psychophysical being that qualifies as atta or self. I say that again. There is no particular aspect of our psychophysical being that qualifies as atta or self because it all keeps changing all the time and it's conditioned. So a way to think about anatta as Gombrich, Richard Gombrich puts in his book, What the Buddha Thought, he suggests anatta translated as no unchanging self or no essence. And I love that. No unchanging self because it's changing all the time. It's conditioned. It's changing all the time. It's not constant. So this, phenom- this phenomenality and egolessness of existence has been beautifully expressed in two verses of the Visuddhimagga. No doer of the deeds is found, no one who ever reaps their fruit. Empty phenomena roll on. This only is the correct view. No good, no God, nor Brahma can be called the maker of this wheel of life. Empty phenomena roll on, dependent on conditions all. I read the last line. Empty phenomena roll on, dependent on conditions all. And there's no time anymore to talk about conditionality, but I think there's plenty of conditionality in there to be seen. So let's just silent, sit silently together for a few minutes and let the words settle. Empty phenomena roll on, dependent on conditions all.
Thank you for your kind attention. And if anything was helpful, I'm delighted. And if anything was not helpful, please leave it in the hall before you go out. Have a wonderful afternoon of practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.